Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Second Sunday Readings. Uh, as you may have noticed, I am not the regular host of the series, Sean Killingsworth. I am Reagan Petruja, a writer, editor, consultant, and a 2022 reader in this series back when I was doing heavier promotion rounds for my book, which is Head of a Gorgon. Um, which reimagines the myth of Medusa in contemporary times and examines her tale of sexual violence through a survivor-centric feminist lens. I'm going to be dropping links to that along with my forthcoming fundraiser poetry reading in support of survivors in the chat um, for any who may be interested in that in April, along with all of the handles and websites along the line, probably after some of the readers get going. Um, so just be on the lookout for those links in the chat. Um, but tonight I'm here and thrilled to be here uh, as a guest host, and I am so glad that you braved the wacky daylight savings day uh, post AWP, perhaps for some of you to boot, um, to join us for some poetry. Nature, womanhood, family, language, illness, identity. These are among the themes today's featured poets, Allison Toome, Shay Sanchez um, explore in their work. And I, for one, am eager to hear the poems that they'll be sharing with us tonight. First up is Alison Toom. Alison Toom is a poet and project manager from Singapore. Her poetry has been published or is forthcoming in Chestnut Review, Anomaly, Heavy Feather Review, Maudlin House, Lumiere Review, and elsewhere. Find her on Twitter at Poetry by Allison or at www.alisontoom.com. And again, I will be dropping the links later. Allison, take it away. Thanks, Regan. Um, thank you all for being here. I'm really excited. This is my first full set, I think. Uh, the first time I actually read was at Chestnut Review's recent launch. So I'm going to actually start with that poem because it's basically what started it all. So my first poem is called No Context Autoimmune Disorder. The night a bottle of $3 hand wash tries to take me out. I soft letterboxed in two words for the first time. I remember my answer, aviator Roy Blochon. It wasn't the official solution, probably because I used O too many times, but it did conjure up an amusing visual of a piloting cheese in shades. Across the A&E, an agitated man under the influence shoves a chair at an orderly, and eight security officers charge in. Eight? One has Nyan Cat as his ringtone in the year 2022. I give the doctor too much information she doesn't need, and tell the nurse administering the antihistamine jab I'm weird about needles. She asks if that means I will scream, and I say only if she doesn't swap me properly pre-injection. On the way home, an otter from a nearby park crosses the road. I miss it because my eyes are closed. Surviving sea salt-scented attempted murder is exhausting. Thank you. The next one is called Chronically. Ill sense of accomplishment as water washes down the last pill in a blister pack. Advent calendar to recovery, sandwich punch card exchange for freedom from symptoms. To keep the illusion, consume 
but do not process new prescription and refill. To keep the delusion, savor the layers of irony in slicing finger open on aluminum that holds in their designated cavities, the little pieces of poison that keep you well and alive. This next one is called Swimming as Allegory for Living. When I say I don't know how to swim, I mean I never learned to do it properly. That they tried to teach me when I was 11, but gave up when I couldn't figure how to turn my head just enough to breathe, yet not sink. I mean if I accidentally fell into a pool, but forced myself to stay really calm, I could probably remain afloat, but it would be obvious to anyone that I was in a precarious situation. I mean I can do some half-assed version of the front crawl in which my face stays submerged for as long as I can hold my breath, while my arms slice through water in unintended tandem and my feet pedal relentlessly like a runner ducks, propelling my body forward in small bursts until it feels like my lungs will explode if I don't allow my head to break through the surface that very instant to take in as much air as I possibly can even if the lost momentum causes me to immediately sink like a stone. When I say I don't know how to swim, I mean I never learned to do it properly, painlessly. This next one is called Twice My Mother Doesn't Speak Her Mind, and it is one of the very few times that I incorporate my mom in my poetry. One. I am washing my hands for the fifth time this afternoon. While they announce the loosened restrictions and celebrate the end of COVID, I receive a delivery from a polite courier with his mask hanging below his nose. And now I am washing my hands as if they are stained with blood and feces, like I am trying to polish my bones. <clears throat> my mother looks like she wants to comment on the hand washing, but all she says is, remember to drink some water. I will, right after I almost apply for this work-from-home job that will turn out to require 10% international travel and regular in-person meetings with clients. It's been two years since I've left the house for fun. Sometimes I think about that Friday, I cut my lunch short so I could stop by the Kuan Yin Temple 10 minutes from my office to get my fortune told with sacred oracle lots. Did you know they call it lottery poetry? I didn't until I was writing this poem. Two. My face does that thing it does where people can't tell how old I am, which is a good thing in this case because nobody needs to know I am three from 30, waiting seven hours in the cold to get barrier at a gig. The wind is chilly enough that my hair looks good, but damp enough that running my fingers through will rip strands out. My mother drops off grilled fish from a fancy restaurant down the road and cutlery from the hotel and comes back again to hold my spot in line so I can do a toilet run. The person behind me remarks that my sister is nicer than hers would ever be. Some girl on Instagram with a seated ticket, more sense than me, asks if I'm the one in the leather jacket. Some guy who looks like he should be backstage with a band joins the queue. A few meters away, some bomb-sniffing dog does its job. The lead singer, Love of My Life, doesn't reply to my DM, 
but he does accidentally drool from opening his mouth too wide to catch my favorite note. And nobody but me and two other girls at the front notice his surreptitious glance down at his shirt. I don't remind him of it when he comes out to meet fans after the show, and he thanks me for following this leg of the tour. My mother says he looks best in our last photograph together. The next one is called, which of course makes me a hypocrite for only falling in love with people unbothered by clothing tags. Extremely specific title. As a child buying new clothes, I had to be told repeatedly to note just the fit and material when asked if I was comfortable. Because otherwise, and really even then, I jumped to no, I don't want it. Because XL 100% polyester was digging into my back and the security tag into my side. And no amount of exasperated assurances that they can and will be removed would be enough for me. But the truth was that I just didn't trust my judgment. Because what if the dress still sucked, even without the text? Then I never hear the end of how it was a complete waste of time and money, and nobody needs that. So it just seemed easier to fixate on the ephemeral scratchiness and say no altogether. I mean, for God's sake, I was six, and $44.95 could probably buy a house. And I mean, for God's sake, I'm 30. And what if I looked past the surface irritants and took a leap? And it turned out to be a complete waste of time, honey. So this next one is Yarn. It is one of my very few happy-ish poems. And it goes like this. It's a one-sentence poem. Anyway, I was a skein of forest green yarn, cast on with intent to knit a scarf, or perhaps a pair of gloves, but which exactly no longer mattered. For at some point mid-pattern, it became obvious that I was on the wrong track. And so I unraveled to a loose strand that, left untended, tangled, hence the haphazard temporary looping around of what remained of me. And until the next project came along, I said probable, amidst other schemes of yarn, unchanged or rewound or a fraction of what they were when they began, knowing that someday soon, in spite of knitter or needles, with drop stitches or perfect cables, I would be. We would be. Please excuse me if my voice sounds a little off. It's really early. It's like 6 a.m. here. <laughs> this next one is Body Language. Um, it's one of very few poems where I explore my culture and my language a little bit. Um, so my first language is English, but uh, my native language is Mandarin and this one talks a little bit more about English. Waist heavy like a borrowed coat, each backhanded your English is very good. I have seen and felt and dreamt in it always. I have healed the tears in my soul with it always. It is skin, not clothing. It is mine to own, not another's to learn. That morning I was wondering wondering in English, but she saw my hair, skin, and eyes and said, Ni hao. That afternoon, I was silent, alone for a while, but he saw my hair, skin, and eyes and bowed. Your English is very good. Yes, and so is yours. 
Um, so that was written very early on um, when I first started submitting work. Then several years later, I wrote Body Language 2, very recently actually, which is a little bit more about my native language, Mandarin. Goes like this. You called it mother tongue, but it always seemed just an acquaintance's slip up there. Some onerous assignment to be completed, an A minus on a certificate, so it needs never again to be contended with in practice. If it is native language, then why does it feel so distant? If it is first language, then why does utterance require translation of English thoughts? I would lay claim to it as you have asked before, but how when tenure is tenuous at best? This is not rejection. This is resentment sended down to regret by time and travel. Older, I have looked the diaspora in the eye and affirmed that I understood and spoke the language. But in my words reviewed, I had, I had but practicality and pleasantry to offer. Passion and poetry long abandoned to some vortex of youthful rebellion against smug, false figures of authority who turned the language from choice to chore. Tragic comedy then is inherently contemplating in a language some have insisted you hold no title to. Yet all words always rolling off the, then irresolutely conveying in one others have assumed you must entirely command, yet some words always just on the tip of the. Your Mandarin is rather good. Thank you. Perhaps someday it will be better. The next poem is called Road Trip and talks a little bit about regrets. There is an inimitable kind of invincible. You are at 19, making promises you cannot keep to friends you will not keep. Because hubris is not deception, and it's not a lie if you believe it. And at 19, there is no reason to disbelieve the plans you make with Sarah and Ed over McDonald's hash browns to road trip across California right after graduation even though you paid with loose change in currency from a country 8,610 miles away. While Ed nods off in his seat from yet diagnosed narcolepsy, Sarah tells you how the best breakfast potatoes are always from diners attached to gas stations in the middle of nowhere, and you nod sagely as though you are in on the secret. For the rest of college, hush browns and gas stations alternate as shorthand for your grand plan, symbols of an unbreakable promise. But after 19 comes 20, and after 20, 21. And one day, you are suddenly a 30-year-old liar. Sarah is a text message from six years ago you never responded to. And Ed is Edmund, or maybe Edward again. And though you will meet other people, go other places, and have other adventures, every so often, you would think about the time you never pulled up to the gas station diner combination at which Sarah had the best breakfast potatoes of her life, only to discover the entire place had long been abandoned for ruin, and the only lights you thought you saw were from Sarah's memories in your imagination. This next one is Scar, um, a love poem, a sad love poem, because I can't write anything that's not sad. Um, so it goes like this. Instead of speaking your mind late that afternoon, you offer up pointless pleasantries in exchange for his polite platitudes. 
just as he ignores how the heels of your brooks catch an even cobblestone as you approach. You ignore the way his, voices, his voice catches as you leave. Because it is summer, you don't notice how late it is until youths in club wear fill your still bright carriage and one in the soft leather jacket jostles the Tesco roses wilting in your arms. Instinctively, you pull them closer to you as if they were meant for better than two days in a stained coffee mug and one at the bottom of a bin ripping holes in the liner. Grief distracts, so when you exit the dart station, you miss a step, promptly slicing open the papery skin of your malleolus. And as you note the same ruby that marks your bouquet now trickles down your ankle, you wonder if this day will leave you with a scar or just a poem. Excuse me, I need a drink of water. This next one is Pebble. Um, I always think of it as a sister poem to Scar because they were written around the same time. Further to the last time we break each other's hearts, I go alone to the sea, picking my way through sunbathers at Kalini Beach until I find solitude by a chain link fence. By the water, summer does little to shatter the bone chill of the sea breeze that seeks refuge in every gap between my skin and already unseasonable trench. In lieu of the unsaid words I should have shaken out of my coat pockets last night, I shake sand out of my sneakers, pressing a bare foot against a glittering pebble I want but will not take, while overhead a lone gull concurs. Uh, and now I'm going to read one of my very rare uh, third-person third person poems um, written pretty early on. This one's called Jin. Upon a shelf of books she never reads sits a bottle of gin she never drinks. I could lie and say she didn't know why she brought it home from Wicklow, but of course it was sweet hubris. Arrogance in belief one could bottle a moment, a sentiment, Preserve eternal sun, wind, water, immortalize transient warmth of his hand on her shoulder. Late one night, she broke the seal, pulled a nail through the paper, twisted the cork and drew its scent till she was one with bittersweet. Reminder she no longer imbibes, but once upon a time, she did. And the uh, last poem that I have prepared is called Dig. It's, I think, the very first poem that I had published in print, so it's very dear to me. Again, a third-person poem. When they handed him the chanko and told him to dig, he dug. Hard and deep, like his life depended on it. They said to dig for sustenance of ten, but he dug for sins and sorrow of one. Beyond the tarp, Rain beat down on ground like drums he used to play as a child. Insistently, aggressively, overflow bleeding into his sheltered patch, turning soil to mud. He had stood too long in the same spot and so began to sink, borrowed boots engulfed in red and brown as earth reclaimed him. They promised he could wash off in their stream. Atonement is fat that feeds seeds of good, a self-proclaimed sinner souls. Forgiveness is the fruit it bears. Do good not for good, but to be good. 
he picked chilies, beans, and basil. That's it for me. Terrific work, Allison. Amazing. Thank you, Thank you so much. Um, and just FYI, in case you didn't see it in the chat while you were reading, um, there may be an opportunity if you're open to it. Um, you got a request from a reader to potentially read a poem in Mandarin later. We'll see. Oh. Um, of course, that's your choice. Uh, but for now, let us move on to our next poet, Shay Sanchez. Shay Sanchez is a writer, photographer, and teacher from, new, from Jersey City, New Jersey. A Best of the Net nominee, Shay's work has appeared in several journals and anthologies, including most recently, One Art Journal, Still the Journal, One by Jakar Press, The Bitch and Kitch, The Braided Way, and Women of Appalachia Projects Women Speak. When she's not working at a health foundation in West Virginia, she is herding goats, riding in the woods, teaching yoga, and trying to be a good human. I bet it also successful at being a good human. Shay lives across the Hocking River with her partner and their family of farm animals in Appalachian, Ohio. And I will drop the uh, Twitter handle in just a minute, but uh, for now, Shay, please take it away. Thanks, Reagan. I don't know if actually your name is Reagan or Regan, but it's Reagan. You're Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. Love no Reagan. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Reagan. Um, um, and I see some friends here. Thank you so much. I feel um, very supported. Thanks for coming. Um, and some of you will already know some of these poems. Um, here we go. And thanks, Allison. Those are very inspiring, very inspiring poems. This first one is called Inherent, um, and I'll take it away. We enter this world whole, but not without breaking flesh, without letting blood. Our first cry appears through a firmament any language can hear. Root tendrils find purchase through cracks in the earth. Seeds burst from their dark seclusion as a chrysalis would to free the quickening life inside it. Water seeps into rock, cuts through land, gives birth to beauty. On any given afternoon, I walk up wooded hills, spot a clearing, climb strata of stone, whispering stories of people and conquest, stories of breaking up, breaking in, breaking through. On these given days, I remember the ribbons of stretched skin on my stomach from a marriage of disease, drugs, determination. My palm tracing the two shades of brown running up and down my belly, stripes of a liger fusing life back into her veins. Like jagged fault lines of a broken pot healed with lacquer and gold. So that one was in one by Jackar Press. Um, so this one is based on my um, experience while overseas teaching. Elegy with green mangoes. My tongue lies speechless, taste buds asleep in deep reverie. 
my mouth a cavern where vowels fall flat and stories meet their end. My fingertips gripless, wrinkled from not gripping slippery slices of sour marrow, sour marrow, before not dipping them into the salty sea of shrimp paste. My crude Thai language, not asking the fruit vendor for a bag of mamuang priao before I head out to teach each morning. Not watching him take an old blade, strike a skinned green mango, slit deep lines to its bone. Not looking at how he turns the fruit's thick body deftly around in one palm until its flesh breaks into long, thin pieces, shiny and wet like grass after a monsoon. Not thanking him these moments for being a time zone away from my birth city. Not ever thinking of visiting Manila to see the porch where I played during floods, to see the church where pigeons perched during mass, to see the markets where mounds of mangoes toppled like rubble. Not ever remembering how I ate them as a child, how my mother, my mother would cut them like the vendor did. Not ever wondering why I had to live in Thailand to remind me of where I came from. All right. And this one, some of you may recognize. It's called The Girl. I'm afraid I'll forget the girl with thick pigtails, front teeth square like chiclets. The girl bringing her grandma's mottled hand to her forehead. The younger honoring the elder, the blessy and her blesser. Manopo, she would say. The girl with her seamless, thank you, goodbye. Of course, I'm fine. Her salamat po, paalam po, siempre po. Effortless, drilled-in phrases spoken at home. Reflexes these weighted America-branded bones haven't lost. Responses that intuit the slight bow of the head, assuring the titos and the titas that heaven's still a destination. That I did eat already and that no, they will not be alone when they're too old to take care of themselves but the forgetting lurks in those almost moments. The invisible letters trapped in my mouth, taunting my tongue, waiting for the girl's lips to take over. I bend every which way, rely on that natural turn of phrase, and then nothing. Voila, the girl and I are stuck, ossified, Will I forget her, this batang babae? On the phone with my mom is the only time some of the girl and her words come back. Words of hunger, loss, love. Our conversations meander in Taglish. The Tagalog, an island surrounded by American flavored seas, half seasoned with anapo? What? Bakitpo? Why does a part of me refuse to remember while another dares not to forget? Assimilation works in ungodly ways. The girl and her words still set in amber. I do not know 
who is holding the hammer. Right. Okay, so now, still with me? All right. Okay, so here we are. Um, this one is um, Obad with Shooting Star, inspired by um, the dawn, hence the title, and also um, the road and the, the river. Darkness on Ohio's 144, the hour before dawn still folded in the failing moonlight. November air hangs dude, wanting. My only source of light caged in the eyes of my car, searching for the right of way, brightened for whitetails, possums, refuge, groping for tread and metal. The Hawking River, a fixture, a fixture by my side as I pass the forlorn and fallow, pass the graveyards of corn and soy, felled trees from yesterday's storms, homes without the noise of dreaming. From speakers, or maybe in my mind, a song's repeating line etches an inscription somewhere deep I cannot trace. It is happening again. It is happening again. Melodies of then and now meander and pearl like the river, migrating from one heart to another, tasting the burden of freedom, feeling anew the first time I heard, I love you. Which road have I lived on all my life? As if listening, meeting my gaze above, a beacon. All right. Uh, this one's fairly new also, um, inspired by my breakfast <laughs> and actually a cutting board. So breakfast and a cutting board, who knows where these poems come from? It's called Labor of Love. Your breakfast at my desk and my hunger arrives like a German train, except I am often the late one. Your glass container of bright collards and brown venison glistens while, with sweat while I delete spam and daily briefs from my insatiable inbox. But the moment I dive in, my tongue cradles your labor, lets the fennel and coriander flood my pores numbs my gaze to visions of you under the low light of the kitchen, melting over my counter, softening my morning humbug. Sometimes you scent my office with sweet potato and cardamom, goat cheese, sumac, thyme. If I forget to say thank you on my way out the door, know my heart is in my mouth like a love stung bandit. On weekends, I try to respond in kind, but my Filipino tortas and Bangkok stir fries tend to fall short of oomph. You eat them anyway. A decade ago, you sauntered into my hospital room, armed with brimming Kroger bags, a cheap knife, and a tiny plastic cutting board. Nurses didn't mind. You did your magic and filled the starkness with light. 
We didn't know the long road we had turned onto, but you were too stubborn to give my sickness a damn. Always on time for me, love in your hand. All right. Oh, this one. Um, this one, it pretty much wrote itself because it was a very memorable event. It's called Firstborn. Like a moth and her lamplight, this little one looks for a bosom. Before he could barely stand on his own, legs trembling like saplings in a storm, his mouth motions toward his mama, a mandible on a muzzle smelling for the scent of home. Just minutes ago, his snout with nostrils pulsing awake emerged with small front hooves, followed by the rest of him, pushed out of her, slick, lithesome, whole. I held him, my arms instantly stiffening into a poor man's palanquin. My heart softened like sunrise, tears brimming in the corners where blood and light meet. Was I just witness to a meaning of life? This is the closest I will come to being a mother, holding a breathing body dependent on another breathing body, his warmth the closest thing to touching a star. My own body dependent on modern medicine to survive. She called out to him, her firstborn, this wonder of a creature so alive, so daring. His first cry, an assertion to matter in this world. When do we lose our way from the wild? His cloven feet find ground for his first forage, mother's manna, colostrum to flourish. She bathes him with her tongue, an earthing fur fine as the powder of moth wings. He struggles to latch. I struggle to help him. Two animals trying to thrive. All right, so um, this one's called keloid. Hopefully y'all know what that means. And there's Google to help you out. <laughs> These days, I forget it's there. A quarter sized scar living behind my left shoulder, raised slightly just to remind me on lightless days, strengths got my back. I remember an impetuous 19-year-old thirsting for an external emblem of grit, a species of moxie her gut goaded her to chisel onto her body. Now I look at this naive version of me shaped into a faded black tattoo for inner power. I want to hold her hand, whisper into her heart, you had it all along. The day I planned to get it, Ma failed at reverse psychology. I came home, the sweat of Canal Street on my skin, Manhattan's traffic in my ears, my brown blouse carrying a dark stain. The blood dried like petty sacrifice. A small price for a pithy message in Chinese. 
Not long after, my brother ventured for his own version in Alibata, our native language before the Spanish came. Chained around his arm rang permanent the words that would tell our story. La Cas Lo O. Neither one of us knew the brands we chose to map on ourselves would carve canyons deep enough to contain bodies of contain bodies built to fight the biggest storm of our lives. Neither could see the aberrant ripples the drops of our blood would make on the river he and I were born in, both with kidneys that would have drowned. His tattoo was raised too, an inked ridge atop a hill high enough to fear a fall. We got up again. Today, a new scar is etched on each of our bellies, housing a living kidney beneath strata of flesh, raising our skin, just so. All right, so we're still here and I still have a little time. Um, I'm gonna read the prequel to this poem, that poem is called, a thing with feathers. Shout out to Emily Dickinson with that title. <laughs> Your little soft body, the color of midday sun, unfurled like a blossom in a storm, broke out from a shell once a vessel of a still life, painted with brushstrokes, pulsating like moth wings in the cusp of summer. Partly cradled in a dome of warm down, your first time mama plucked like a scalpel on the day my love gave me his kidney. A small soft body, the color of love that filtered the dark so I could see shadows as shadows, not as ashes and light as light. Birds heading towards home. I've been told our story's romantic, two creatures Puzzle pieces stitched with one string, a guitarist strummed while playing the song of our lives. Still, I cry the refrain every night before bed, bowing thanks to soft bodies like yours that fought to live. Your day old murmurs from a bill the size of a baby's thumb were swallowed whole by the sky so wide you sunk inside buried between walls of your brothers with bodies like yours, only weaker. But my love, he saw you, your eyes like half moons fading in battle. He carried you, sequestered in his palms so you wouldn't fall to a temperature a frigid death can catch. Heated by his breath until you could find your own to hold again. He returned us to our beds of pine bark and feathers like an angel defying nature, laid our little soft bodies down so we could find our way back to flying again. So while you're still kind of awake, um, <laughs> um, just a couple more. Um, this one is called Hamed, which I also kind of just wrote while out there sitting um, on some leaf litter. Bald sycamores spear the sky, their stark white, a cold vein against the neck of day. Wind knifes the river's rind, scratching summer's old soliloquies. Farewell, farewell. Ripples hurry toward the 
bend where autumn's light and winter's burden collide. Sunlight squints open the cloud's lamina of silver gelatin. Briefly, warmth tenders us all, wakes us to this fleeting life. Briefly, we remember we're not the ones who tame this world. All right. Okay, this poem was also kind of written around the time I was sitting on a rock. Um, <laughs> a big, a, the next to big boulders. So um, called Poem That Peeled Me From Sadness While a Ukulele Played With Joy. On this rock, remember how you carve its coolness on the curves of your body, how you lather the airy swales of almost autumn in your face, how the gauzy patches of gray are etched above this forest's kingdom of crowns. Decades old oaks, cottonwoods, hickories, holding time captive in their cambia, holding your heart captive as you trace the parabola of your life. Trace the leaps, the almost ends that carried you here to this storm-hewn locus of limestone, prayer, loss, carried you to this moment, saying, almost rejoicing, you belong. Okay. And um, I'll end with this poem. It's called Slow Return. We didn't hear their fall. Two giants taken by a storm, an aspen and a burr oak, Creatures older than the grit of our teeth, wiser than the hands of our fathers. They lie as temples that will be forgotten. Their last offering, bodies of matter uncoiling to their slow return until they are nothing and everything. This calm morning, 14 sets of hooves, cloven and daring, bound on and off their trunks, climb onto branches that once pierced sun and sky. This family of caprines bite into the still green leaves, waiting to wizen, their jaws pressing into softness, wetting the instinct to live. When do we learn to sink into the softness of dying? to embrace the hard truth of falling. On a hospital bed, one calm December dawn, I woke from a fall so deep, I heard only silence. My kidneys muffled and starving in their grief. My mind had been writhing in a dark cage, toxified with unfiltered blood. My tongue had forgotten how to uncurl the language of survival huddled in a thick storm. The night before, my mother sentineled the IVIG coursing through my limp limbs. Don't move that, she'd say, pointing to, to the tube deathly still on my arm. I nodded half awake like a doe drowsy from forage. That morning, the sky unfolded its clearest eye, the trees outside still standing. Awesome job. Thank you so much, Shay. So um, it looks like uh, Sure Ting will not be able to join us today. So um, 
what we've decided to do is uh, I'll open it up to um, Allison and Shay to do perhaps one or two encore poems if they'd like. If you have questions for Allison and or Shay, you can drop them in the chat. Um, I also have some books stacked up over here. Um, if nobody else wants to, to read again, um, if they don't have anything prepared, I've got a couple just random poems that I that I picked through today. So um, Allison, did you have any encores that you wanted to do? Uh, not my own, but there is a poem by Amy Nejukumakato that I wanted to share. Well, I don't think you can see it. Um, it's one of my favorite poems. She's one of my favorite poets. And the poem is entitled, Are All the Breakups in Your Poems Real? If by real, you mean as real as a sharp tooth stuck in your heel, the wetness of a finished lollipop stick, the surprise of a thumbtack in your purse, then yes, every last page is true, every nuance, bit, and bite. Wait, I have made them up, all of them. And when I say I am married, it means I married all of them, a whole neighborhood of past loves. Can you imagine the number of bouquets, how many slices of cake? Even now, my husband's plan a great meal for us. One chops up some parsley, one stirs a bubbling pot on the stove. One changes the baby and one sleeps in a fat chair. One flips through the newspaper, another whistles while he shaves in the shower. And every single one of them wonders what time I am coming home. So this is by, um, I, I, I'm just going to, yeah. So Reagan's really shared it. It's Amy Nezhukumantato. She's amazing and you really need to check out her work. Awesome. Thank you. And yes, she is amazing. Um, Shay, did you have any poems by yourself or another poet that you'd like to share? I do. Yeah, I have some, a couple extra poems. Sure. Um, um, I'll share two, two more. That's cool. Um, the one that I'll share is in this anthology currently called Women Speak volume eight um, by Women in the Appalachia Project. And we're currently touring <laughs> to promote this book. So this is one of the poems in there. It's called Interrogations on Red. And I'm wearing red. I just never thought I didn't actually put two and two together there, right there. <laughs> Interrogations on red. How deep does the red of your fire go? In syncopated madness, swooning from ember to ephemeral ember. How hot is the heat of your heart? Do you burnish the fire pink petals of a catchfly? Pup the ruby throat of a hummingbird breaking his solitude in the thrust of spring? Does your flame grow on time's wick? Reach the belly of the sun down into the canthus of the eye of Ra, whose early morning light awakens every dawn. I burn to know if the crimson of trifolium incarnatum sleeps inside the clover's inflorescence, flirts with bees till noon's yawn. Does your voice whisper like the velvet petal of a pawpaw tree's flower or soothe like clay in a sculptor's hands? Can you taste death's pigment that lingers on the bitter side of your tongue, carry life within the marrow of man's kind? To me, you are more than just a color living at the long end of light, more than a scatter of clouds at the close of day. 
to the bullfighter, your vehicle and ferment to her bull, to the Renaissance painter, a lover for his blue to conjure violet, to the blood moon, a cloak of fire craving her totality. And um, for this last one, uh, it's, a, it's based on a painting. Would I be able to share the painting? Because I see um, some folks here who, um, who I know who haven't heard this yet. So <laughs> I'm just reading it for them also. So this is an acrostic poem based on this painting by Vicki McCafferty called River of Light. Um, it's called The Before and After. And unfortunately, it's such a small painting and the way this painting looks like it's not supposed to be that um, blurry, but anyway, here we go. The before and after. This moment's full and wanting. Rhapsody at last light, dancing in pink fandango on knife's edge. Thick honey, caramel, cornflower on silken water, bottled memory unbidden on a brush, an hourglass toppled beside desire. Why do we want to arrest time for the short end of light in a measuring cup and watch wet sand spill on a canvas, drip honey on the mouth of a harbor and wait, just wait. How do we catch the sound of a river bending? I want to catch a shine of light before it names everything. The hawking, the sayoto, the mommy, the chagrin. I want to sail the crest of youth before water names its thirst. The Alabang, the Hudson, the Charles, the Chalpraya. Eat this, the woman from Isan said in Thai and handed me sour soup with young pork bones. I smell lemongrass, galangal, magrut, and taste the color of longing. I see the radiance of Wat Arun against a rose-tinted dawn and sense the moment fading. My fumbles and regrets savored with gratitude. I want to wade in the before and after. I want to wake a stream from a sky of current coral dandelion i want thank you awesome thank you so much both shay and allison for bringing uh, such powerful work to second sunday readings today um, and thank you of course everyone who joined us um, the recording of this reading will be up on the second sunday youtube channel down the line so keep your eyes peeled for that um, and of course be sure to check out the next second sunday reading which will be of course on a sunday April 9th in this case. Everybody have a great night. Bye.